now it's time for the only show that doesn't care about ratings, Witness Radio, with your host, Ryan Muniak. Welcome to the only show that doesn't care about ratings. Our sole purpose is to save souls, on purpose. Go to witnesstalkradio.org for more episodes and syndication options. Connect with the show on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Periscope, or by calling 513-900-8070. You're listening to Witness Radio. This is the 100th episode of Witness Radio. I can hardly believe it. When I started doing this show, the thought of making it through 100 episodes would have made me laugh in disbelief. In honor of making it this far, I thought it would be neat to address 10 of the most common objections that are given while witnessing to people on the street. Oddly enough, if you listened to last week's episode, most of these objections were used during one street interview. Also, since this is such a special occasion, I felt it was necessary to give something away. How about The Defender's Guide for Life's Toughest Questions by Ray Comfort? Seems fitting for our topic today. Here's how to enter. Just tell me about your favorite moment of Witness Radio, even if that moment is right now. Go to witnesstalkradio.org for all the details. So when someone you're witnessing to brings up an objection, does it stop you in your tracks? Well, here's 10 commonly heard objections and how I would address each one. Number one, men wrote the Bible, or men changed the Bible, or many translations, or how do you know Christianity is true, or telephone game, or contradictions and errors in the Bible. All of these objections fall into one category. That category is questioning the authority of the Bible. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God's word was written before the Bible was ever put together. We trust the scriptures because we trust the one who gave them to us. God authored the Bible and used men to write his words on the paper. The Bible was put together over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents with over 40 different writers in three different languages. Yet there are no contradictions and it's in complete harmony from cover to cover. We trust God's word because Every promise and prophecy has been fulfilled, except for those relating to the end times. And that's because we're not there yet. The Dead Sea Scrolls prove that the Bible message has been unchanged for thousands of years. And the numerous translations are just different ways of conveying the same message. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 states that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy three, sixteen and 17. Number 2. That's just your opinion. What's true for you isn't true for me. That's your interpretation. You can't know anything for sure. This line of thinking is called moral relativism. And the best way to answer these illogical statements is by using logic. Ask them, are you sure we can't know anything for sure? Or, if my truth contradicts your truth, or says your truth is false, which truth is right? And as far as opinions or interpretations are concerned, Take them to scripture. It's no longer your opinion because the Bible is making the claim. 
and ask them for their interpretation of the passage that they say is only your interpretation. John 17.17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Number 3. Don't judge. Judge not. Stop judging. This is a mixture of moral relativism and twisting of scripture. Turn it back on them by asking, why are you judging me? Now, they may not get it at first, but they're making a judgment against you by their very statement. I like what Paul Washer says. He says, people tell me, judge not, lest ye be judged. I always tell them, twist not scripture, lest ye be like Satan. And regarding the verse that they're referring to, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 actually says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And John 7.24 says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Number four. There's many ways to God. All religion leads to the same place. I'm a Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, blah, blah, blah. I'm a different religion. The answer for this would be, again, Scripture. I would use Scripture to refute this objection because it is authoritative and cuts through to the heart. Remember a moment ago we said that God's Word is truth. Other religions may be able to coexist with one another, but biblical Christianity stands alone. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death, Proverbs 14.12 says. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14.6. And Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Number five, I'm a good person. God knows my heart. I'm not a bad person. These are my favorite objections because it opens the door to take them through some of the Ten Commandments to verify their claim. It can also be beneficial to share verses with them that contradict these objections. For example, Psalm 14.3 says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And Jeremiah 17.9-10 talks about, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. We'll be right back. Ohio Fire is coming to Columbus, Ohio, April 8th and 9th. Hosted by Striving for Eternity Ministries, Ohio Fire will encourage and train Christians to mature in their faith and share the gospel with the lost. Hear Phil Johnson and Dr. Thomas White on the topic, the Word of God. And after the conference, you'll have a chance to hit the streets of Columbus with trained team leaders. 
Ohio Fire, April 8th and 9th. For details and to register, go to ohiofire.org. Imagine Jesus walking onto your local college campus. What would he say? Would he be like Matthew chapter 9, seeing the people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? And say, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. At Christian Collegiate Network, we are sending workers into the harvest. We are training students how to proclaim the glorious gospel. If you want to support our ministry at Christian Collegiate Network by becoming a campus leader or financially, go to changeyourcampus.com. Welcome back to Witness Radio. Number six, there is no God. God is a fairy tale. God is dead. God doesn't exist. I believe in science. Evolution. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Those that deny God's existence are willfully denying the truth. They know that God exists. Try reasoning with them by asking if a builder had a building. Try reasoning with them by asking if a building had a builder, or if a painting has a painter. Unfortunately, once you make the connection that the creation had a creator, they typically revert to their illogical and unscientific belief that nothing created everything. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14.1. And Romans 1.20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Number seven. It's a bad time for me. I don't need religion. I'm happy without God. The Bible says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, according to Second Corinthians 6, 2. People that use these objections don't understand why they need God's mercy and grace. They probably heard the modern gospel message about life enhancement. Show them their need for a Savior by using the law of God like a mirror reflecting their sins. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. Number 8. I'm a Christian, or I'm a church leader, or my family is Christian, or I was baptized. These are by far the hardest people to reach with the gospel. I like to refer them to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and ask them to tell me what that means. If, after talking with them for a while, it appears like they might be questioning their profession of faith, then take them to the book of First John and help them to examine their life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Number 9. There is no hell. There is no heaven. There is no afterlife. 
Scripture is definitely your friend with this objection. Take them to passages that refer to heaven and hell. Also, show them Hebrews 9.27, which says that just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Typically, they will deny or twist the verses you share with them. But then, you know that it's not an ignorance issue, but one of questioning the authority of God's word, which is a totally different issue. Revelation 21.8 would be a good verse to use regarding hell. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 is good for talking about heaven. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Number 10. Was Jesus white? Get a job, loser. God is a black woman. You ain't got no pancake mix. I would label these objections in a category all on their own called other. Because this is where you have statements that are nonsense. They have nothing to do with the conversation or message. People use these when they just want to stop you from sharing the gospel. They don't care about your answer. So you should stick to the message and don't get sidetracked. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 18.2 Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Proverbs 10.23 There are things that cause the heart to wonder. Awe-inspiring things that can't be explained. That you never thought you would see. After more than 4,000 years, it's your moment to encounter the Ark. The voyage begins again, July 7. What do Jewish people believe? Or Muslims, a Mormon, or a Jehovah's Witness? If you've ever wondered, then the book, What Do They Believe?, is for you. From the differing views on God and Jesus to sin, salvation, and eternity, what Do They Believe will help you get an accurate understanding of what other religions believe. What Do They Believe by Andrew Rappaport, available now on Kindle and at strivingforeternity.org. Ratings. We don't need no stupid ratings. You're listening to Witness Radio with Ryan Muriak. <coughs> but we like Ryan. <coughs> we do. Just go to witnesstalkradio.org. Hey, man, you want to be on the radio? Sure. Awesome. What's your name? Do I have permission to put you on the radio? Yes, my name's Dustin. Okay, Dustin. So, what is it that you are here on the campus doing? What's your major? I'm in construction management. Okay. So now, what uh, what year are you? A freshman, junior? I'm a freshman. freshman? Okay, what do you think of the campus so far? I really enjoy it. It's a really nice campus. It's small for how many people are here. So when it gets really cold out, I'm not walking all the way across 15 minutes across campus to get to my class in the morning. But yeah, I really enjoy it. It's a nice campus. Okay, very good, very good. Uh, do me a favor, step a little closer just so I don't have to reach so far. So uh, are you, uh, 
you know, are you doing any extracurricular stuff, you know, outside of your, your studies here on the campus? Yeah, I've been involved a little bit, not as much as I would want to be. I've been kind of putting it off as, I don't know, but I'm kind of, I'm working on joining the bowling team. Um, I've been going to a lot of like the CEAS meetings, stuff like that, and stuff that involves my major. Very neat, very neat. So what about, uh, like there's a lot of uh, different groups and stuff that are on the campus, you know, I- I'm with one, I'm with the uh, Christian Collegiate Network. Uh, do you, are you part of any groups or anything like that? Uh, no, not particularly. Okay. Now, uh, do you have any, uh, any spiritual background of any kind like that? I was raised Roman Catholic. Okay. So you say you were raised Roman Catholic. Does that mean that you are no longer Roman Catholic? I or consider myself Roman Catholic anymore. Okay. What would you consider yourself to be now? Agnostic. Why is that? Um, I don't know. I just, growing up, I, I was kind of forced into it. Not, like, against my parents. My parents wanted to raise me Catholic, like they were raised. And, um... I went through some hard times, and it was just, I don't know, kind of like I had started getting self-worth issues. I was having a lot of trouble, and I kind of realized, like, part of the problem was I couldn't identify myself as Catholic anymore, and it was just kind of identifying myself as something else, and I've kind of realized that I don't know. And, I mean, if you are spiritual, that's great. More power to you. It's just I couldn't bring myself to do it. And it was that kind of split in my personality that drove me to be very, like, self-worth issues and all that. The self-worth issues, would you say you dealt with depression or anything like that? Yeah, I would. Um, I'm sorry to hear that you dealt with that. Um, I, I myself, I, I, I deal with that from time to time. Um, <clears throat> so now that you are agnostic would you say that the self-worth issues slash depression issues are are gone or are they still there but uh it's just not the religious aspect that is causing them i would say at first they were still there because i i kind of made this switch in high school and um then once i got to college i don't know i started being a little bit more my own person too and because i came from a small farm town where like everyone knows everyone everyone asks you if you were at church sunday kind of thing and um i don't know once i kind of got to go to college and do my own thing because even when i was agnostic i was like in high school i was still forced to go to church every sunday and um but now that i kind of am here and not split away from my parents but like a little bit more space uh it's pretty well gone yeah well I'm, i'm glad to hear that the uh the uh, depression and, and, and stuff is subsiding. But uh, the one question that, that is on my mind is, you know, after death, you know, now that you're agnostic, what is, what would happen to you? If you, for example, if you were to die today, what would happen? Where would you go? I'm not really sure. I kind of, I, um, I did PSOP in high school, so I took college classes at a local community college while I was in high school. And I took a philosophy class, and one of the like things that really like changed my life was this quote. I think it was from, uh, I want to say either Augustus or Marcus Aurelius, somewhere, some of the, one of those guys from Roman Empire, that he said, um, if there is a God and you have lived your life 
as good as you can because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be a good person and all that stuff. And you didn't believe in him and he's just, then you sh- he would still let you into heaven. If you there is no God and you lived your life as like an agnostic like I am, then I'm kind of prepared for nothing. If nothing happens, that's all right with me. I've lived a good life. I've tried to do as much as I can, see the whole world. Um, and if there is a God and he doesn't let me into heaven because I didn't believe in him, I didn't pray to him, I didn't really want to pray to a God like that anyway. I want a kind, caring God, not a God that's going to push everyone aside because they some people don't have the same ability to believe. And I'm like, there's people that were raised in India that will never know anything other than Hinduism. That might be right. It might be wrong. And if it's wrong, why should all those guys, so why should all of them be in hell? Because they were never brought into a church that was right. One of the major problems we have is that people don't have a right view or a right understanding of who God is. Um, that's why we have so many different religions and, and uh, even within like Christianity, so many different uh, cults or denominations or everything. Uh, it's because a lot of times people get their view of who God is wrong. And one of the major issues is uh, people think that you know they're good enough to get to heaven uh, without following God and that if uh, they don't follow God God should still let them into heaven if, and if they don't then he's not a good God because you know why would why wouldn't God let me into heaven just because I don't follow him now with that mindset I can understand where people are coming from but the problem is that's not why God says you don't get into heaven you know God says that Everybody, regardless of worldview, everybody on the face of this earth deserves hell, according to the Bible. It says uh, there are none good, no, not one. It says we've all sinned against him. We've fallen short of the glory of God. So regardless of your worldview, agnostic, atheist, Catholic, Hindu, Buddha, you've sinned. So you've broken God's command, and that in itself is why he says everybody deserves to go to hell. But the loving God part, that, um, that's the good news of the gospel. The fact that he sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth to live a perfect life, a life that you and I could never live. And he died on the cross paying for the sin of mankind rising from the dead three days later, defeating death. Now, when he did that, he did that in our place. He paid our fine. You know, every time we've lied or uh, stolen or looked with lust, we are sinning against God. And Jesus paid our fine. We deserve death. We deserve hell because we've broken the law, lying, stealing, whatnot. But when Jesus paid that fine, he offered you an opportunity to escape hell and have eternal life. So let me sum that up real quick. The biblical view, uh, biblical worldview of, of God is that we all deserve hell. None of us deserve heaven because we've all sinned. But he offers everyone eternal life in spite of that. If they turn from their sinfulness 
and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone. So that's the, the biblical worldview, the biblical mindset. You know, so it's not a, how can a loving God send good people to hell? No, none of us are good. And in spite of that, he's still willing to send people to heaven if they do it on his terms. What are your thoughts on that? I think, honestly, um, it's a bad way to look at humanity. I think looking at everyone as a bad person will lead you to a dark place. I think that not everyone has this hate in them that everyone would like you to believe. There's a lot of people that are out there to do good. Most people, given the opportunity to do something good, do something bad, are going to do the good thing. It's just how we're built. We're a social animal. We have to work together to bring ourselves to this point. If that building right there, TUC, wouldn't be there if people weren't working together. And um, I just think that you give somebody the opportunity to do something good, they'll do something good. And in my mind, everyone should be deserving of heaven, not everyone deserving of hell. Because what you're, what you're in a sense saying, not, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I've, I've read the Bible. I took my own interpretation of it. What it's saying is Gandhi. Gandhi was a great person. He was a Hinduist. So he never lived his life according to God. Say that the Roman Catholic God that I was raised with is the right one. He would be going to hell for, because he wasn't deserving, because he was never deserving, because he didn't live his life according to what, how, God's beliefs. But he did a lot of good things. He helped break the caste system. He helped drive Britain out of India. He freed a country of a lot of pain, and suffering and that's one of the greatest things anyone could ever do and to think that that person could be in hell is just beyond me and because if that's because he was born a bad person then like I said I don't will feel like I should be in heaven if Gandhi's not in heaven even though the only difference between well the difference between me and him is I didn't save an entire country of pain and suffering and I was baptized, that doesn't seem right to me. Well, uh, baptism isn't going to save you. Baptism won't get you into heaven either. Um, you know, it, it, Jesus said you have to be born again. You have to repent and believe the gospel is what he said. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was saying that there are none good, no, not one, according to the Bible, it, it is not to imply that we cannot do nice things or that there aren't people who are nice but they will not do good in the sense of uh, moral perfection they're they, they not good because of their sin nature um, we are fallen beings you know going back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis where Adam and Eve ate the fruit you know any one of us if any one of us were put in that same scenario, we would all have eaten the fruit. Um, you know, that's where we get original sin from. And the only way to have that removed is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Um, so, is Gandhi in hell? Based on his life and his profession of faith, I would lean yes but i i don't know 
100% because I don't know the man's heart. You know, just like I don't know your heart. Um, you know, I can make a, a guess, an estimated judgment, but I do know that the Bible makes it very clear there's only one way to get to heaven, only one way to escape hell, and that's through Jesus Christ and the fact that he died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose again on the third day. And if we repent, turn from our sinfulness, and put our trust in him and him alone, then we can have eternal life. I want to give a shout out and say thank you to John, Amber, Carrie, Ed, Andrew, Christopher, Andy, Curtis, Rich, Michael, Jake, Susan, Jason, Cliff, Jennifer, Nick, and George for their help in compiling this list of objections. When dealing with objections to the gospel, try to remember that most, if not all, of these obstacles are illogical and are easy to overcome. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, There's nothing new under the sun, and that proves true with these objections. I've heard them countless times while witnessing to people. If you ever get stumped, just tell the person, That's a great question. I'll have to look into that. And then, turn back to sharing the gospel. Well, that's it for the 100th episode of Witness Radio. Don't forget to tell me about your favorite moment of the show, not just this show, but any show in the history of Witness Radio, by going to witnesstalkradio.org and entering to win a free copy of Ray Comfort's book, The Defender's Guide for Life's Toughest Questions. You're listening to Witness Radio. If you enjoyed this episode of Witness Radio, please rate it and share the show with others. Until next time, the fields are ripe for the harvest. So what are you waiting for? Get out there and share the gospel. May God bless you. Witness Radio has been brought to you by the Muniac family.